This is a podcast by Wellhouse Church, where we talk about what it's like to be a Christian Monday through Saturday, to live as a person of faith and a culture against faith. All right, so let's talk about substance use disorders. Hot, uh, hot take. Uh, yeah, um, this we're going to be on this for a while, I expect. A few weeks. Um, three to four weeks, something like that. Um, substance use is a, a, a big deal with a lot of intricacies. Mm-hmm. Um, but before we move on, um, how was your day? You always ask me this. I do that because this no, is a mental I, health episode. I know, but you always... So our listeners know at this point, but I am wrestling and struggling with something within myself that uh, I read this book. The Relentless Pursuit of Hurry. The Ruthless. The ru- ruthless, I'm sorry. Pursuit of Hurry. Or The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And I'm just really trying to get out of this idea that I need to be busy in order to feel valued Mm. that really speaks to my three nature. I think that's why this book was so formative for me. Yeah. Um, So because of that, I'm really trying not to say my day was busy anymore, but you always ask me this on On days days where it's been busy. It's been super busy. I put in what's to what time is it? It's nine o'clock. I am currently at a 12-hour workday, and we're not even done. Yeah. Uh, I, have a, I have another four hours worth of work at least. See, the, it, that that's why I don't think that, like, the you shouldn't define yourself by your busyness, but by saying that my day was busy, it's just honest. Well, but as long is, as you don't define yourself by your busyness. Yeah, so the question is a question of identity. Mm-hmm. If you ask me every time, how are you? And 95% of the time, my answer I'm is busy. I'm busy. I've defined, I found my identity in the value I provide by being busy. Right. So yes, my day was busy and it was very crazy. But my life is not defined that way. But even still, it's so easy for me to find myself mm. in that vein. Yeah. I have to constantly fight against it because it's not healthy for my person. Yeah, I know. I get that. So, yes, my day was busy. It was crazy. It was very stressful. Um, But I don't like saying that. Yeah, no, I get that. But at the end of the day, you can find rest. Yes. And like, that's the deal. As soon as I'm done, I'm going to rest. Yeah. Saturday, I'm going to rest. Like, I might even play golf on Saturday. Mm. I hadn't played golf in weeks. I wish I could join you, but I can't. I've got things going on. I've actually got to do work on Saturday. Well, I've got to do work in the morning on Saturday. But like I always say, that's my preferred thing is to work a little bit every Every day. day. And so I can do my Sabbath this week yeah. from Thursday night mm. to Friday afternoon. Yeah. And then I can do that. So yeah. how was your day? Um, I will say that my day was busy. Yeah. Um, the beginning of it wasn't. The last half of it was. Yeah. Um, and we're... For my day job, we're preparing for a big week-long event. Yeah, um, of which my department is heading. 
Yeah, special projects and events are always a lot of added stress. Uh-huh. And uh, I'm handling a large portion of the behind-the-scenes stuff. Yeah. And so I'm constantly sending emails and, and creating sign-in sheets and yeah. flyers and, and doing all the things and making a bunch of copies and yeah. just running all over the place, talking to a bazillion different people about a bazillion different things. Yeah. Uh, it, it was nice to... It, it was nice to hit the punch out button today. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, I'm sure. Yeah, it was it was nice to be like, okay, I'm done with this for the week. Yeah. Um, now I can focus on the things in my personal life. Yeah. Um, I get that. I have a feeling I'm probably gonna end up doing some work for that over the weekend. Um, just because I always end up doing a little bit, right? Just because, yeah. like, that's it how happens. it works. It happens. Even though you're not paid for it, you end up doing it because it's there. <laughs> you grind it, yep. Um, but in those times, we have to find ourselves, in, in these times of stress and, and high activity, you find yourself wanting to relax. Yeah, you find, well, and yes, you are correct. I, I have found that it's more beneficial for me to think about it not in terms of relaxation, but in terms of release. Right. Um, because in these high stress and high tense moments, it's not it's not me going, man, I want to relax. Mm. It's me going, I want to get rid of some of this junk that's this on. Stress, I need yeah. to release some of this. Yeah. And so what's so funny is um, I was leaving work today. And I was out of beer. Mm. Um, and I was like, I need a release is probably a better word, but yeah, I, yeah. like I need to, what I was thinking was I need to relax. Yeah. And so on my way home from work, I stopped and I bought a 12 pack of Coors Banquet. Yeah. <laughs> and it's um, a great beer. It is good beer. And I had um, a beer. While I was outlining this episode. Yeah. Just to kind of like. Decompress. Decompress a little bit. Kind of relax. Which also, if you think about decompression, it's release. Yeah. No, for sure. Yeah. Um, just to kind of decompress and, and get my mind right to do some recording tonight. Yeah. But in outlining this episode of substance use disorders, I had the thought I come home from a stressful day I wanted a beer mm, yeah I don't think I have a substance use disorder and we're going to talk about that yeah. but that is a problematic place to be well it's a potentiality a potenti for problems. It, it could be yeah. problematic to be there well so um, and I think uh, and you can correct me if I'm wrong uh, a healthy way to talk about this is you have a legitimate need that you're fulfilling in an illegitimate way. I think that's fair. And so you have a legitimate we need for decompression, for release. Yeah. And so one way that you personally choose to enjoy that decompression is it's through, through adult a beer. Bear, an adult or beverage, yeah. the art of mixology and cocktails. Right. That puts you in a potentiality for, for danger. Which I manage through dry weeks. Um, yes, you do. And so that's the deal. It's managing those. But it's also, I think, genuinely, 
any of your decompression moments or any of your decompression points are potentialities for problematic situations. Mm. Because even if you do something, quote unquote, wholesome, right. we're going to talk about it, you can end up in a process addiction. Right. And so any of those are potentialities for problems. Yeah. And that's something that we're going to talk about a little bit more in process addictions, but um, you can become addicted to anything. Correct. Um, the, the addiction of just uh, um, like emotional addictions is a real thing. Um, and oh, oh, like attachment and like love addiction, like well, affections. So that, but not even necessarily that. So like there are certain substances that we'll talk about in a little bit um, that like hallucinogenic mushrooms. Oh, um, that are not chemically addictive yet, but the experience, the experience is in and of itself yeah. and the emotions that you feel can yeah. be, I get that. um, and so there is a difference between a chemical addiction and an emotional addiction. Emotional addictions happen more in process addictions, yeah. um, which we will talk about, but for this episode, we are going to talk about substance use disorders, which happen through uh, chemical addictions, which some of the data that I found, I'm, I kind of need to fact check it um, well, so we based are on updated data. Yeah. Um, and, and I'll get there when we get there. But we're already almost 10 minutes in. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it's okay if we go 25 minutes on this episode. Yeah. So substance use disorders are a problematic pattern of substance use that impairs your daily life. Mm, um, that's a really good definition. Yeah. So is that from the DSM five? Uh, no, I will get to the DSM five and just okay. a minute though. Um, basically what that means is if you're coming home from work every night and you're getting drunk, um, and you're hung over the next day at work and it's impacting your work. Yeah. Uh, you, you might have a substance use disorder. Yeah. Um, something that you need to seek help for. Yep. Um, really what it is is repeated misuse of a substance. Um, any substance. Any substance. Yeah. Um, and so I actually kind of want to read something from uh, the National Institute on Drug Abuse, mm. uh, okay. shortened to NIDA. Okay. Um, NIDA. They define addiction as a brain disorder that occurs when repeated drug use leads to changes in the function of multiple brain circuits that control pleasures, reward, stress, decision-making, um, impulse, impulse control, learning and memory, and other functions. These changes make it harder for those with an addiction to experience pleasure in response to natural rewards, such as food, sex, or positive social interactions, mm. or to managing their stress, control their impulses, and make healthy choice to stop drug seeking and use. Wow. So when they're saying drugs, we need to make it very clear that that does not mean illicit yeah. drug use. That could or mean- Or controlled substances. Or controlled substances. It could mean caffeine. Yeah. It could mean nicotine. Yeah. It could also mean alcohol, right? All of these things that are legal um, can also become problems. Well, and yeah, so, and two things I didn't hear you say, which are 
technically should be classified as psychoactive drugs are caffeine mm-hmm. and sugar. Yep. Both of which majority of Americans are addicted to. Yep. It's true. Um, yeah, very true. Um, there's a, a really cool podcast that you sent me on that. Uh, yeah. So it's my friend, Mike Skinner, uh, who's a pastor in uh, the Houston area on a podcast i'll try to find it and link it in the show notes Mm -hmm. but he does a a deal on psychoactive drugs and uh religious experiences Mm -hmm. and specifically for him he has severe depression anxiety and he goes to a ketamine clinic yeah legally mandated ketamine. ketamine yep and he will tell you that of the top five most spiritual moments he's ever had in his life, two of them came at a little ketamine clinic in Houston with a needle in his arm. Yeah, while he's tripping on ketamine. Yeah. <laughs> um, in the same way, he in that same podcast, he's talking about psychoactive drugs and mentions caffeine and sugar as uh, like psychoactive, like psychoactive. They change your chemical balance in your brain in that moment. Well, and that's exactly what they do. Yes, and. the the host of the podcast can't remember the name of the podcast off the top of my head but she like is very insightful she's like 95 percent of christians are Mm. addicted to coffee yeah like they can't function without their coffee and when she said it i'd never thought about it yeah but how many times do you remember through the 90s or even into the 2000s and even now most good churches have coffee shops yeah like it it is just natural that coffee and church go hand in hand, and therefore, a lot of these people end up living or either end up living or were already caffeine yeah. addicts. Yeah. And some of them, in that same moment, sugar addicts. Well, and, and you see all those memes about people that are like, um, don't talk to me until I have my coffee. Yes. Right? Yeah. Um, it, it's just very normalized. Like, yeah. caffeine addiction is very normalized, um, and I will be honest, I have one. Well, and here's the deal, and and this, you know, you talk about stigma on this podcast all the time about mental health and addictions and things. If somebody told you, "Hey, don't talk to me until I've had four beers," oh yeah, no, you'd like, be like, "Oh, you have a problem." Yeah. But when somebody says, "Oh, I can't function until I get my coffee," we're like, "Oh yeah, I get that." Yeah, and it's just fine. Yeah, it's like, oh, you want to talk about stigmas? Yeah, yeah. There's a substance abuse well, issue and, here with caffeine. And we're going to talk more about this in a minute. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, so the DSM five talks about several different kinds of addictions. Um, the, so alcohol use disorder. Okay. Sedative use disorder. Mm. Opioid use disorder. That's a big one. And this is the one that I need to fact check based on recent data. Okay. Cannabis use disorder. Ooh, is that even a thing? It's in the DSM-5. Huh. Um, based on the research that I have seen in recent years, based on some research by Johns Hopkins, THC in and of itself is not an addictive chemical. Yeah. It might be an emotional addiction, um, like a psychological addiction, but it. I don't know if it can be classified as a chemical addiction. Well, I also know that I'm going to put an asterisk next to that one. Yeah. Well, and on that same line, I also know that the leader in 
Cybacillin research, which is the chemical compound found in is magic also mushrooms, Johns Hopkins. is also John Hopkins, and he says it's not a chemically inducing addiction. Well, Johns Hopkins, so the the hospital does say that it's not an addictive chemical, um, and they also talk about a, a lot about the the healing effects of psilocybin. Correct. This as guy well as like, THC. Yeah. So Johns Hopkins is a hospital. You can't talk about a single guy. Well, um, yeah, yeah, but the leader of the cybacillin right. like research unit, I'm talking about him because I only listen to podcasts with him. I haven't mm. looked at John Hopkins stuff. Yeah. So Johns Hopkins in and of itself does a lot of it's research. It's a research-based hospital. Yeah. yeah. On and, and they do a lot on uh, THC and psilocybin yeah. and and well, honestly and they're supporters. Yeah, clearly, or at least what I've listened to them from from what they've put mm-hmm. out, they are supporters of both of those, what yeah. are currently listed as illicit drugs. Yeah, um, which is maybe another conversation on this podcast about the war on drugs. Um, mm-hmm. Outside of this series, you Outside mean? of this yep. series. Yep. Um, that's, that's fair. I'm that's okay with that. another conversation, and then the church's role in that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm okay with that. But... Substance use disorders can affect brain development. Mm, um, yeah. Ooh. Mm. Could explain why they tell you not to let your kids drink coffee before a certain age. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> um, but substance use disorders can affect brain development. And you know what's funny is I've been drinking coffee since I was like three years old. <laughs> like, Clayton used to drink coffee before he could say coffee. <laughs> I would call it copies. Yeah. Copies. I mean, it was a splash of coffee with milk and sugar, but That's still. That's exactly like, what it was. But Clayton was drinking coffee before um, he could say coffee. But still, um, I've been drinking coffee for a long time. Um, but... Our brains develop until we're about 26 years old. Oh, and I did not know that 75% of substance use disorders start before you're 27. Oh, you said 75%, 75% start showing symptoms. What percent of people have substance abuse? Um, um, I have it down here. Um, in 2018, um, 20.3 million people over the age of 12. The age of 12? Yep. So 20 million people, that's like about roughly 8.5% of the American population. Yikes. And 75% of those... Start before the age of 27. So 15 million people started that before the age of 27, which is further compounded by your... Beginning at the age of 12. Wow, that's insane. So, substance use disorders make it hard to experience pleasure. Like we've already talked about, to manage pleasure, or or to experience pleasure, manage stress, control impulses. And because it's hard to control impulses, it increases use. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And that comes from a study that came out in 2016, right? And and so, I, I want to state this a lot of this research is pre-covid we saw alcohol sales increase um skyrocket during quarantine um well the quarantini the quarantini was yeah yeah i mean that was a thing yeah it was a thing um alcohol sales skyrocketed yeah i was only responsible for about half of that (laughs) (laughs) um no that's a joke it's a bad joke but it's it's a bad joke um a bad dad joke. But um, 
No, so I, I want to see this research revisited, especially in conjunction with illicit substances. Yeah. Um, so I do have a question, and if you want to tackle it in another episode, because I know we're going to be doing substance abuse issues for a while. For a while. Uh, what's the intersectionality of substance abuse with some of the other mental Getting health? there. Okay. It's at the end. We're going to be so long on this one. Um, I have to get through all this, or else we're going to be on it for like five or six weeks. Um, but... Young adults typically go untreated. Um, that doesn't shock me. 92.3%. So young pe- adults don't go to the doctor. Yeah, people under the age of 26, um, 92.3% of them go untreated. Oh, 90%. 92. 92.3%. Wow. That number shocks me. Um, and then over the age of 26, 87.7% go untreated. That is a large people, a large amount of people with substance use disorders that are going untreated. Yeah, it's uh, upper 80 percentile of people with this issue are going untreated. But the same point. There's a massive struggle. There's a massive stigma that comes with substance abuse issues. Yep. Nobody wants to, quote unquote, be the person that goes to rehab. Yeah. Exactly. Um, But to be fair, um, substance use disorders don't necessarily have to be treated in rehab either. Right. So fair. um, But I think that's the natural thing is like, oh, I've got an issue. I don't want to be. They're going to send me to rehab. They're going to send me to a treatment facility. Yeah. Um, A treatment facility is probably a better way to say that. Rehabilitative treatment center is the long, but. Yeah, that's probably the PC way, but yeah. yeah. A rehab just carries lots of stigma. Yeah. And so we try to say treatment centers these days. Yeah, that's um, fair. And helping professions. Um, but <clears throat> it, it is important to state that created tolerances don't mean substance use disorders. Mm. Um, so like Ooh, okay. if, if you go to the doctor, if you're in like a really bad wreck and you break your leg or something and they prescribe you narcotics to treat the pain, if those narcotics stop working, you don't necessarily have a problem. Your body is just adjusting to, to the what chemical. you're giving it. Yeah. Substance use disorders mainly come from s- symptoms of withdrawals. Mm. So we talk a lot on this podcast about vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Me being 100% honest and vulnerable, I have a nicotine addiction. Mm. And I'm very aware of it. Um, And honestly, at this point in my life, it's not something I want to tackle. (laughs) Um, But I do have one. Yeah. Um, And if I find that I go a while without nicotine, um, I start feeling like withdrawal symptoms. Mm. I start feeling like a craving, like an itching. And I just, I have to go, 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 go and do, 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 do. And like, yeah. because I'm, I'm just like twitchy and like, uh, yeah. you know, I'm my, my body has gotten to a point where it needs, it needs nicotine, nicotine to function properly. Yeah. Along with a lot of people with their caffeine addictions, yep. including myself or sugar or sugar. Right. These things, once they change your body's chemistry, yeah. if you don't get them, you will go through withdrawals. Yeah. And that is where you start realizing that you have a problem. Yeah. Um, so you remember the movie Rio Bravo 
with uh, the John, John Wayne, Wayne movie. Yes, and, uh, I Dean absolutely Martin. love that movie. Yes, I remember that movie. So Dean Martin's character. Yep. Uh, he was. Uh, what what did they call him? Do you remember? Bonachon. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Uh, a drunkard. Yep. Right. Yep. Um, when he quit drinking, what did what did what happened to his body? His hands started shaking. Well, so I remember something that happened with his hand, but I think it went the other way. I think the alcohol. Mm-mm. No, because he had quit drinking. Oh, and, and his hand started shaking. His hand started shaking. But then there's that scene, he hears that music, and his hands quit shaking right when he's about to take another drink. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. He didn't have the shakes while he was drinking. He quit drinking and had the shakes. Yeah. You're right. <clears throat> Withdrawal symptoms. Yeah. Um. So we've talked about the 20.3 million people over the age of 12 having a, a substance use disorder. million of those are related to alcohol. Okay. 8.1 are related to illicit drugs. Mm. And 2 million of, 2 million of those. And this is rough because some of those, some of these are going to be legal. Some of them aren't going to be legal, but about 2 million of those is opioids. Oh, okay. Well, the opioid crisis is a real thing. But one Point seven million of the two million with an opioid addiction had prescriptions. Mm. That well, means that's why it's a real thing. That means point three million to three hundred thousand people were like getting heroin. illicit, yeah, right. Opioids. Um, I, but one point seven had prescriptions. Yeah, which is I, I kind of want to track back to an earlier episode. Uh, when we did our psychosis episode, what did I say? You don't throw drugs at something yeah. until you try to treat it another way. Yeah. Um, a part of that has contributed to, to the, the opioid crisis. Yeah. And it really is a now, crisis. I, w- I would like to say, giving our society credit, it has decreased from 2015 to 2018 pretty significantly. Because it has become more well-known and uh, healthcare providers have started restricting their access to opioids and, and those sorts of things. It has decreased yeah. over over the last, you know, five years. Well, I will but, tell you... Uh, or six years now. There are two things I want to comment on that. So, of your study there, caffeine and sugar are not addictions that are listed. They're not listed, no. So there's not, a whole lot more people addicted to things that are not accounted for in that study that yes. are c- well, technically classified as substances. of studies yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. The other thing that I will say is, as someone who has been prescribed morphine at a very real rate, yeah. uh, if you remember when I broke my leg, I had a morphine pump. There was a needle in my leg, and I could pump, every 30 minutes I could give myself a shot of morphine. Yeah. I had to ask mom to not renew that because I like, even in like three weeks, I was like, it wasn't even ready to pump. And I was like, give me more. Yeah. Uh, as someone who with a extremely addictive personality, the opioid crisis is a real deal. I, I, I definitely get how people get there for sure. Cause I was so close. Well, and it happens just like that. It's so naturally that, 
you don't even realize it's happening until it is. Yep. You know, a doctor gives you a prescription. They tell you to be careful. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, they don't really check up. They don't check up. And if you say I'm still in pain, they give you more. Yep. Um, There's not really any check and balance there. And that's when you get people that are faking injuries mm-hmm. or causing themselves injuries yeah. to get more. Um, yeah. And, and it's scary. And it and this is where I'm going to start talking about policy a little bit because, and I'm just a little bit, I'm not going into all of it, but um, this is where our healthcare system starts to fail. Mm. Because... Big Pharma makes money off that. They make money off the opioid opioids. They make money. Yep. And therefore, the government gets to tax it. Yeah. Um, so, the people with money are making more money, even though the people that are addicted to these things, and it's causing an even bigger problem, they're not willing to make the policy changes needed to fix it. Well, and that's the deal. I actually, I, I don't know. My suspicion is those numbers are very different today. You said those are from 2018. Yeah, my suspicion, those numbers are very different because, because of COVID and, and well, not just that. I, <laughs> only 300,000 people addicted to an illicit opioid. I think there are more than 300,000 people addicted to heroin. And, and here's the deal. These numbers are, the, are probably skewed, right? No, no, no. Well, but that's what I'm saying is Big Pharma is tracking prescriptions that they've given, if I might be so bold, to white men and women. Right. They're not tracking the low-income minorities who are treating that symptom or pain or trauma with illicit heroin, crack cocaine, or some other kind of yeah. adjacent substance well they're not self-medicating or they're right. they're trying they're, to self-medicate right, right right exactly um and and while that is absolutely true um and also there are a lot of people that are probably self-medicating with with heroin and and you know amphetamines and and things like that um <clears throat> that aren't forthcoming Right, yeah. which skew the data. Yeah. Um, which makes it really hard to track substance use um, and misuse mm. because there is such a stigma around it that people don't want to be forthcoming, mm. um, yeah. which is scary yeah. because that's what contributes to the uh, 92.3% of young adults that go untreated. Yeah. Right. The stigma. It, it's the stigma around it. If... We didn't have the stigma around substance use disorders and substance use in general, yeah. which I do think that the church has contributed to quite a bit. Oh, I don't disagree with you at all. Which is a big problem for me. I would agree with you. I mean, we started the prohibition, right? Like, well, um, we we, we played a role it. We in the escalated prohibition. the prohibition. We definitely played a role in the prohibition. Which led to um, stigma around substance use. Well, and here's the deal. Jesus is very clear. In Luke's gospel, Jesus is very clear. There's not the healthy that need a physician. Right. 
And the church needs to be a place for sick people to come and get well, experience wholeness and healing. Yes. We are never going to get there if the church is constantly contributing to the stigma of the issue. And, and therefore contributing to other issues as well. Well, because well, inevitably, you're even just dealing with people's shame. You're just filling people with more shame because you've contributed to the stigma. Which and they feel yeah. like terrible human beings. Which contributes to depression, anxiety. Social uh, isolation. Social I mean, isolation. The intersectionality of all of this and the church's role in it is very prevalent. It's, it's sickening. Not, it honestly. shouldn't be lost on anyone that the church has done a terrible job of managing this this concerning issue. I will tell anybody that asks, and I'm very open and honest about this. Um, the church's role in substance use disorders and the shame that they that they throw at that, as well as you know, with the purity culture, which we've talked about, it makes me sick to my stomach. Yeah. It's so infuriating. Yeah, I would agree with you 100%. It, um, we have done a terrible job managing this issue. And that's the deal. I think if you really want to G- read Jesus for who he is as Messiah coming for justice, you can read all throughout the Old Testament and you can see that righteousness, zealotry, faithful living without justice, in the words of Paul, a clanging symbol. It means nothing. Because first and foremost, God is a God of justice. And true justice, if we can be honest with ourselves, is restorative and therefore healing. None of the church's activity for quote-unquote justice or the things that we've chosen to link ourselves to have been moments of healing. Mm. It's time to reverse this stigma and make the church a hospital for those who are genuinely sick. It is There is nothing wrong with you as a person other than you have an illness that you need restoration from. There is no stigma. You are good, you are loved, and you are trying to deal in a broken world with lots of pain. The church is the place to deal and wrestle with that pain in order to thrive in wholeness and healing.